Well, good day, everybody, and welcome back to the extras for another week. And uh, I'm Sam, and I'm Mike, and I'm Jack. <gasps> Jack, special guest. Welcome, buddy. Yeah, Hello. great to have you here, mate. First Thanks time on the extras, mate. Really good to have you here. Uh, now, the extras is uh, a podcast we we run uh, most weeks, every other week, perhaps, uh, to <laughs> to answer your questions. Um, from church on Sunday and uh, lots of good questions for us to sink our teeth into with these two who've been taking us through Genesis um, at our different uh, services at St Paul's and uh, guys really thankful for your work um, in God's word it's just great to have you pleasure absolute Mm. privilege really yeah, no, it's been excellent. Um, can you, maybe Jack, can you just remind us, where were we on Sunday? We were in, in Genesis. Uh, what was happening? What were we teaching about? Just in case we weren't there on Sunday. Sure. So we were looking at Genesis chapters 12 and 13. We saw right after Abram gets these promises from God, suddenly everything goes wrong. There's a famine. Abram's forced down to the land of Egypt. He tells the pharaoh of Egypt, Sarah's not his wife, she's his sister, and she gets taken off. Everything seems to start spiraling out of control. And then we see God bring this judgment, but also bring mercy and protect his promises and bring Abram back out and bless him, even though he does the wrong thing. Yeah, okay. And then we look to chapter 13. Yeah. And uh, there's this kind of division, a quarrel between Lot and Abram and... Lot chooses poorly, Abram chooses wisely, and uh, that's going to set us up for more of what's to come in Genesis. Yeah, okay. All right, um, well, we've got some questions. Let's, um, let's dive into it. Um, Jack, you mentioned uh, that, that Abram's wife, Sarai, um, kind of gets uh, noticed by the Egyptians uh, <laughs> and then taken off to, to sort of... Uh, be in their kind of their, their, their harem of the, of the pharaoh. Um, mm. Someone's put a, a tentative question here, saying um, <laughs> that they might put their foot in it right here. But it seems odd that a sixty-five-year-old, we, we think she's an older lady at least, uh, w- would be adored by all those Egyptians and pharaohs uh, and, and his officials. Um, uh, talk to me here, uh, Jack. Uh, a beautiful sixty-five-year-old woman. Um, how, how do we think about that? For starters, I really love the self-awareness of the question. Yeah, you're definitely right to think you could be putting your, your foot in it there. Um, <laughs> and shout out to any 65-year-old ladies out there listening. So yeah, we love you. Yeah, that's, that's right. Great. For starters, it seems there could be some cultural stuff happening here. So the fact that we hear, oh, a 65-year-old woman considered beautiful, that may sound strange initially to us. It may be for the Egyptians and their culture, they have different standards of beauty, different ideas about what makes a woman beautiful. For them, it may not have been weird at all. And I think that points us to something more, that really, with a question like this, it, it sort of shows more problems with us and our culture than it shows with the text of the Bible. So the fact that we find it hard to imagine how that could be true, it points to our culture where you know youthfulness is associated with beauty, that's, that's mm. all that we think beauty is. Mm. Mm. And maybe pointing us to that and helping us realize, well, is that right? Is, does the, the Bible have a bigger idea of what beauty is? And I think it does. I think nice. in the picture of the Bible, beauty is godliness and character and kindness and physical beauty as well. But it's much more than just being young and youthful or that kind of thing. So there's kind of cultural differences in terms of what we find beautiful. Um, you know, for some cultures it's thin, for some it's not so thin, for some it's light, and some it's darker. Um, but there's also, you're, you're touching on um, kind of character differences in, beautiness, uh, in beauty, that uh, the Bible says we should find character as the thing that's most appealing rather than out of beauty. 
Yeah, that's right. And, you know, thinking about, you know, myself and my life, you know, I'm married and one day I will be married to a 65-year-old woman and God I hope willing, and pray man. that in that case I will still think she's the most beautiful woman in the world and I expect I will. Mm. Yes, yeah, so self so it reveals to us some of our own sort of uh, preconceptions about beauty and even perhaps some of our cultural idols um, that yes, we, we nice. need to be aware of as, as, as Christians and not necessarily think the same as our culture. Yeah, okay. Um, well, moving on from there, um, God... Uh, blesses Abraham despite that mistake to kind of yep. uh, lie about his wife. Um, we read at the start of chapter 13 that he, that he comes up from Egypt perhaps with, with lots of wealth that he seems to have acquired in Egypt. Yeah. Um, Mike, on Sunday you made a couple of comments about um, the, the nature of material wealth and blessing. Mm. Um, and his question here, it sounded like God blesses us with material wealth if we are generous with the wealth that God has given us. Could, could you clear that up for us here, particularly in light of um, the prosperity gospel, which the, the question here um, references? Yeah, I was at, uh, opening up a bit of a can of worms, and, and deliberately I was trying to be a little bit provocative, I guess, but also I was trying to wrestle with the truth of Scripture. Um, God does promise to bless, Genesis 12, and uh, those blessings are enormous, uh, and in the Old Testament and for Abraham, there is a definite physical reality to those blessings. Uh, in the New Testament, um, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Um, and so the question that I have is, well, how do the kind of the blessings, the physical blessings, do they continue on into the New Covenant? And um, that, that's a kind of a, a really fascinating question that, again, I won't be able to answer fully here and now. Um, but I do want to say that um, God can continue to bless us in many and very ways, spiritually and physically, because he's a good God and he's a gracious God. And that may involve uh, wealth, uh, physical blessing. Um, and uh, the question says, uh, does God bless us with material wealth if we are generous? I, I don't think I quite said that, but I can understand why the person heard that um, I wasn't saying that God will bless us if we are generous. I was saying if God blesses us materially, be generous. And I hope you can understand the distinction. Okay? Yeah, and it's helpful to think that that's something that God normally does and promises to do. So we've talked a bit about um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need... You will abound in every good work. And if you read that part of the letter of 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, it's talking about giving and what you do with your money. And it seems like the Apostle Paul is saying here, yeah, God does and normally will give people money and an income so that you can do good works. And that includes blessing others with your money. So like you're saying, it's not so much that God says, if you are generous, you'll get money. It says that the way God normally works in the world is he blesses people with wealth so that we as his people will bless others and do good with that. So Sam, maybe I can throw back to you. In terms of the prosperity gospel, how do we want to define that as far as we know? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. Um, The prosperity gospel is is perhaps a multi-headed beast um, that that comes in a few different... There's a very simple form, which is, you know... um, I, the, the pathway to getting wealthy is to give. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a brash version of it, and, and it's sort of the opposite of what 2 Corinthians is saying. 
Um, 2 Corinthians is saying not um, get wealthy by giving. It's saying that if you uh, if you're de- desire is to give god will provide the means for you to do that um, so the the goal for the christian is to be generous not to get wealthy um, and so there's a distinction between the, mm. the prosperity gospel there there are all sorts of other versions of the prosperity gospel talking about um, health and well-being and uh, sort of um, that that faith is kind of rewarded with um, those things including finances and well-being and wealth um, here, Genesis seems quite different to that, doesn't it? In that Abraham's actually been faithless and, and disobedient, <laughs> and God blesses him anyway. In and spite, it's, yeah. it's much more along the lines of grace that God lavishes here rather than um, any version of the prosperity gospel. I haven't heard too many prosperity preachers say, um, go out and sin and give your wife away to the Egyptians and then God will give you a BMW. It, just, it doesn't always go that way. Not that I've heard. Maybe you can point me to that. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, and I don't think that's what you, you were trying to say on, on Sunday either. I hope I didn't give that impression anyway. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Um, let's keep moving along here. Um, uh, to follow sort of on from that, um, one of the applications from Sunday's talk was was to kind of seek the blessing of God, and um, and one of the ways the, the application brought out was to, to you know um, seek God's blessing by being a blessing to others. And the question came in: um, uh, it seems a bit of a contrast to put others of your, uh, others before yourself if you want to be blessed, uh, because ultimately you're thinking about your own blessing and you being blessed and only putting others first so that you can receive this blessing, is that a healthy motive? So maybe we can unpick a bit further about motivation in, in blessing. I think to start with, if, if that is as simple as the motivation is, it's just, all right, I'm only going to do good because really what I really want is to be blessed myself. I think the, the picture that Mikey talked about on Sunday night, uh, Philippians 2, and you see Jesus' motivation what he was doing on the cross, you know, considering others better than himself. He, he humbled himself, he became obedient to death you know he was putting others first but I think that doesn't mean that you can have no regard for yourself and how you're you know how you're going to go in any kind of situation because I mean still thinking about Jesus I think of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 which is talking about again what Jesus did on the cross it says for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so we see there Jesus in his mission to, to save people from all over the world and he put them before himself, but he still did that for, for the joy, for the joy of what was coming after and being exalted to the right hand of God. It's not like you have to choose always between, well, I'm just going to do this for other people or I'm going to do it for me. A lot of the time what's good for other people is also good for you. Yeah, I mean, kind of big picture, God's ways are right. God's ways are best. And uh, if God says, uh, Mike, best thing you can do with your life is to love me and love other people, then I kind of want to do that because that's the right thing to do and that's the way to honour God is to obey him. But I also am more and more convinced as a Christian the longer I go that that is actually what is best for me. Now, that's not why I do it, but I do know that actually the byproduct is it's going to be better for me if I'm other person-centred than if I am self-centred. Now, I don't always live that out. Just ask my wife. Um, but I am convinced that God's ways are the best ways. It is the way of blessing. I don't do it just to get the blessing, but the more I do it, actually, I think the more blessed I am. Nice. Okay. Um, moving on from there, um, again, Mike, I think this is coming a little bit more out of one of you, uh, your talks on Sunday. Um, you finished with a, a group, a, a set of challenges to us to say, look, is there something here you could try this week um, that would sort of, I guess, 
one that will lead to you being blessed by God. Um, is that right, that, that way of thinking? Um, is mm. kind of being blessed by God contingent on what we do? Um, mm. Or is blessing something that God does for us independent of what we do? Yeah, good, good, good. So God is good and God is gracious and God blesses us because he's God um, and because he says he'd do it. And so God has told us he's going to bless us, but he's also told us uh, what to do to kind of make ourselves open to accept those blessings. Um, And so God does do it, and yet um, he calls on us to respond or to, uh, um, to act in a way in order to get those blessings. And that's what I was trying to highlight by the end of the talk on Sunday night that God shows us pretty clearly um, the kind of people or the kind of actions he is going to bless. Um, And yet, because God is good and gracious, sometimes he will do it independent of us. And just like with Abram in the end of chapter 12, um, God blesses him in spite of Abram's uh, lack of faith and disobedience and self-centeredness. Um, but I, I take it the general pattern in Scripture is more along the lines of um, uh, if you do the things that God says to do in order to receive blessing, God will bless you through that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, it's, it's helpful as you look out a bit, zoom out a bit and look at Abram's life. In that particular episode, God blesses Abram seemingly far beyond what he deserves, which is grace, and that's, mm. that's good news for all of us because we mm. all need that. But through that judgment that God brings on Pharaoh, Abram is brought back and he goes back to Canaan and he repents and he has this moment where he, you know, he comes back to his older and he starts calling on the name of the Lord. So Abram has this lapse, but you look at Abram's whole life and it is a life of God gives him the promise and tells him, I'm going to bless you. And then you see Abram's response to that and his life is in general a response of faith compared to someone like Lot who walks away and we, we're going to see how that ends. Yeah, and I guess you see that principle perhaps um, more broadly. Um, you carry on with the people of God to the end of the book of Deuteronomy as they're about to enter the promised land. Now, they're already saved by God, that God has already taken the initiative to take them as his people. And then in the context of that pre-existing relationship, he says to them, well, now you've got to choose. You want to obey me and choose life. You want to disobey me and be cursed. O- over to you. And he lays out pretty clearly for them, here is the blessed life and here yeah. is the cursed life. Yeah. Now, again, he's already saved them and taken them to be his people. So he is sovereign in giving that blessing to, to save them, but in the context of relationship, op- makes them an option. I, I, I guess that's sort of perhaps what you're picking up Sunday night, isn't it? We are the people of God, and God has said, so choose blessing, choose life, that's and it. Nice. Here, here's some options for you. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, Jack, you mentioned Lot in your, in your answer just then. Um, we, we get a reference to Lot again in the book of 2 Peter, in 2 Peter 2, 6 to 9. And there, Peter seems to talk about Lot as, as a righteous man who's kind of living in, in Sodom and yet is distressed and tormented by the city of sin that's around him. Whereas in, in our sort of meeting of Lot on Sunday, he seemed to be described as this kind of guy who, who chooses the wrong path and, and goes the wrong way and sort of makes a, almost a sinful decision by going to Sodom and Gomorrah um, kind of, how do we reconcile that? Is, is is Lot the righteous man who's distressed, or is he the wayward man who's mm. enticed? 
or is he both? Or what is he? Help us work that out. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. Yes, he is the, the righteous man who God rescues. And he is the wayward man who wanders off. He's, he's a very mixed character. And in that way, he helps us understand ourselves as well, I think. To start with, what we looked at in Genesis chapter 13, I think it is all pretty negative there. You see Lot showing no signs of faith. He has no desire to stay in the promised land. He's just wandering off away. He goes after what looks good. He goes to the, the lush land that looks like, you know, looks like the land of Egypt because it's great land for his farm animals, but really he's heading off towards Sodom, towards the city of Sin. And then we're going to see it in the weeks to come where, it, where Lot ends up. But all along the way, he's, you know, God seems to have to drag him kicking and screaming. And when God does eventually come to destroy Sodom, he brings Lot out. But even then, Lot's reluctant. You know, he's really slow. He's dragging his feet. His wife looks back and becomes a pillar of salt. All, all these things. You never get the sense that Lot is like really, really keen to go. And yet, here in 2 Peter, he's described as a righteous man, which... We look at it and it seems a bit bizarre if you just read what Genesis is saying. It is confusing at first. Yep. But I think what, what, what Peter is picking up on there is that there is a difference between Lot and Sodom because God destroys the whole of the rest of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, but Lot's the man in his family. He goes to great lengths to pull him out. And even though it is kicking and screaming, he still does mm. distinguish Lot in this way and, and drags him out. Or would you add, Mike? Um... I like the question because there are times where the Old Testament character is presented one way and the New Testament kind of reads the, the character or the story a little bit differently. And I, I do find that confusing. Mm, totally, yeah. <laughs> so there it. does seem to be a bit of a disconnect, but I think, um, Jack, you're absolutely right. Um, God does save Lot, and uh, is that because he's righteous? Is that because God's gracious? Well, yes. Um, but it is true, sometimes there is a, a slight disconnect and at that point I think we just have to submit to the, the biblical writers and say perhaps they knew more about it than we do. Of course they did because yeah. um, <laughs> they had the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's great to wrestle with the distinctions and, and to let, if you like, uh, Scripture interpret Scripture. Mm. Um, and so let's let Genesis interpret 2 Peter and let 2 Peter interpret Genesis. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Okay. Um, well, let's kind of keep moving with Lot because he, he's faced with this decision uh, to go to the left or to the right, go one way or the other. Um, he makes a bad decision on, on uh, Genesis's reading of it anyway. Um, what about when we're faced with a decision um, and, and we might feel like, wow, this is just a great opportunity that God has provided. It looks like Eden. It looks amazing. Um, but then maybe, in fact, walking away from God like Lot. How do we... We're not Abraham in the promised land. We're not Lot in the promised land. But sometimes, you know, that moment of you've yeah. got a choice and you're yep. trying to discern God's will and how do you guard yourself from being like Lot? Yeah, this feels a little bit similar, doesn't it, to the question about beauty and uh, the fact that the world has this certain um, standard of beauty that isn't uh, consistent with Scripture. Uh, think... Perhaps in our world we can think that there are great opportunities from God, things that look amazing like the Garden of Eden, from our cultural point of view that aren't necessarily uh, great opportunities. And it is easy to get sucked in because uh, it's, it's a lot easier to live by sight rather than by faith. And so when good opportunities come our way, uh, we need to be very careful, I think, 
because it might be a great opportunity from God. It might not be. It actually might be temptation from the devil. It might be just indulging our selfishness. Um, and how do you know? Well, I think the key question is, the, the, the answer is actually in the question. If this great opportunity, inverted commas, leads us to walking away from God or from the Lord Jesus or from blessing or from Christian community, then it's not a good idea. Mm. Uh, don't go there. Even if it feels like the best opportunity, it even feels like you've hit the jackpot, uh, one lotto, whatever it is, if it means distancing yourself from, from the blessings of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not a good decision. It is not a great opportunity and it is not from God. Yeah, I think that's right. And maybe to help with some of the practical outworkings of that, part of the issue for Lot, I mean, he didn't have nearly as much to go on and to help with that kind of decision as we did. He saw what was before him. You know, he'd had this one promise from God that he'd heard secondhand from Abram. We have just so much more. We have the whole counsel of God in the scriptures to uh, bring our decisions to. We can look at what God has to say. We can see all his wisdom and help us evaluate what a good option is going to look like. We've got our Christian community. We, mm. we have uh, one another. You, mm. you, know, you, you may have your growth group leaders, your youth group leaders, older, wiser Christians, pastors, you know, people who you can bring these things to and say, hey, I think this is a good option, but what do you think? You, know, yeah. you who've walked with God as well, you who yep. understand a bit more about this world maybe, how, how, can, how can we help each other? And, and ultimately, how can we ask for God's wisdom as well? You know, we, Lot doesn't turn to God and pray and ask what he should do. He just dives straight into it. Maybe that's a lesson for us too as well. If we ask God to show us what a good opportunity looks like. Yeah, like we lot a lot of areas of temptation, it's good to have a healthy distrust of yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm pretty easily swayed. I'm very sinful. Uh, I can easily get sucked in. And so have a healthy distrust of yourself, even on this one. Mm. And I think there are a bunch of kind of... Um, big ticket items that we sometimes um, would think about. It's like, who do I marry? Um, or yeah. where do I live? Um, and, and they're important things because often those, you know, I've seen too many people choose a non-Christian marriage partner and think, oh, what a great blessing, what a lovely mm. person. They're very kind, they're very supportive of my faith. They don't love Jesus uh, and then end up on, on an unhelpful pathway, um, uh, sometimes walking away from God. Um, but I think it's not always about the big things. I think we've got to practice this in the little things. And I think, um, I think sometimes we think, I'll only ask God about it if I'm sort of thinking about where I'm going to live. But I think we want to practice this uh, habit in little areas of godliness, which is how am I going to spend my day to day? I've got some free time. How can I use it to serve others and love God? And if we're practicing being godly in the little areas, I think that sometimes will mean that when we come to those big things, like, oh gosh, work's offered me mm. a, an overseas um, posting. Um, how do I think that through? Mm. We're actually already in the habit of trying to work out nice. how to please God because we're doing that in the little things. And then when we're faced with a big thing, like who do I marry? We're already well uh, down, down the habit there. Yeah, that's nice. That's yeah. very helpful. All right, a couple more to go. Uh, rounding the home straight here. Um, back to Abram and his sort of decision to go down to Egypt and kind of farm out his wife to Pharaoh. Um, did, he, did he have an intention, do you think, of leaving Egypt and, and coming back if, if Pharaoh hadn't kicked him out? Um, he, he certainly didn't seem to have an exit plan for Sarai, <laughs> is, is the question. <laughs> Good question. Look, there's nothing in the narrative that gives me the impression that Abram was had a, had a big plan, you know, a five-year plan here. Um, he, he seemed to just be motivated by fear, 
um, motivated by um, just getting to the next stage. But there's nothing in the narrative that gives me the impression that he was thinking too far ahead, Jack. And I think that's a picture of life in the world post-Genesis 3. Like, the fact that these, this crisis comes to Abram, uh, you know, that only happens after sin. No one's having to make this kind of big calls in the Garden of Eden. But, the, yeah, Abram, he's just driven from crisis to crisis, really, isn't he? He's, you know, okay, famine, well, I've got to go. I've got to go somewhere else or I'm going to starve. And then, oh, no, that precipitates the next crisis. Now I'm in Egypt and I've got to fear for my life because they're going to kill me, like... I don't think he has a grand plan. I think he just gets himself into bigger and bigger messes because he lives in a world that's cursed and he doesn't seem to be always living in line and motivated by the promises of God. Things just go from bad to worse. I know I can think of times in my life where that's what happens. If, you, if you're fleeing from God, you just seem to get into more and more trouble. You know, you're not really thinking, oh, yeah, I know where I'm going to end up at the end. <laughs> and this becomes a bit of a type scene, really, doesn't it? Um, famine in the land and head off to, to, yes. to, the, to a foreign land looking yeah. for looking for the blessing of God. You see the start of Ruth is one that's coming to my mind. You, you, you've got um, yeah, a similar kind of idea of famine in the promised land and rather than trusting God, leaving just because I need to chase bread, you know, mm. um, and yeah, not always having a... And, and often God is gracious, but yes. there are consequences when you don't trust him. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last one here. Um, Pharaoh um, gets struck with plagues, uh, all sorts of diseases, let the mm. reader understand. Um, why, why is he struck with those? He seems to be acting in good faith. Abraham's the liar here. Um, uh, yeah, how, how, is God being just? Yeah. yeah, you feel a bit sorry for poor old Pharaoh because he just kind of didn't know. He was just kind of kept in the dark. And so you think, why does Pharaoh seem to cop it? Um, I think one way to answer this is to think in terms of God was actually being kind to Pharaoh um, in giving him the diseases. What he was really doing was protecting Pharaoh from making a big mistake, which was to take Sarai as his wife. And so this is a kind of, I think, an example of God's kind of, um, what you could describe his severe mercy um, in, in kind of looking after Pharaoh um, but another way, another way to understand, I think, is that this is, this is God's exit plan for Abram. Abram didn't have one, and so mm. God had to intervene with an exit plan, which was strike Pharaoh so that Pharaoh discovers the truth, so that Pharaoh gives Sarai back, so that Abram and Sarai can leave the land. So I think there are two reasons why I can think why um, Pharaoh gets struck. But, yeah, you do feel a bit sorry for Pharaoh, maybe. And yet, big picture, this is God being kind to him. Yeah, you do feel sorry for him. I get that too. I mean, maybe there's something to be said for the the objective truth of God's, you know, the, the moral order that he has set before us. The fact that Pharaoh didn't know that Sarah was Abram's wife doesn't change the fact that he's, you know, he's about to marry this woman who is married to another man, and that's adultery. That you know, the fact that he doesn't know doesn't change that. There is this this wrong that God is warning him from. Mm. I think you see the logic of what, what you've described there, Mike, spelled out a bit more in Genesis chapter 20. So all of this with Abram lying about his wife happens again in chapter 20 because Abram's a slow learner <laughs> like so many of us are. And at that point you see God, he's a bit more clear. So Abram, this time it's a guy named Abimelech, the king of one of the Philistine kind of regions. And God comes to him and says, look, you're as good as dead because of the woman that you have taken. She's a married woman. And again, it's that kind of warning idea that you're giving. He, he has this yeah, severe mercy. I think it's exactly the right way to say it, that God keeps him from living in this 
sinful situation that he didn't know about. Yeah, he didn't know, but God brings him out of it, even though that's this mm. severe act of judgment. Yeah, that's really awesome. So even even though we might say something's okay, God's moral order stands. Just while we're chatting, making me think of I took a wedding the other week, and you say this bit in the in the marriage service that be assured that those who marry other other than God's word allows are not joined together by God. Neither is their marriage lawful in His sight. We might be able to marry people in our view, but God mm. has a moral order, mm. and and He graciously, as you said, Mike, um, restricts Pharaoh from breaking that moral order at this point. Um, yeah, and again with Abimelech in, in chapter 20. So that's really helpful. All right, that's it for questions this week. Um, awesome. Now, uh, we've got uh, more Genesis coming up this Sunday. Jack, tell us where we're heading and, yeah, who we're heading there with. Yeah, for starters, we are having our combined service in the morning. Woo. So morning church and early morning church and North Rocks Church all meeting together at Carlingford. That's going to be great, isn't it? I'm very excited, yeah. yeah. It'd be great to have everyone together. And as we do that, I'll be taking us, uh, opening up Genesis chapter 14 with us, where we're going to see Abram start playing on the the world stage, if you like. (laughs) He's in this battles with these kings. He's um, talking to kings. He's getting blessed by kings. He uh, meets this king named Melchizedek, who we're going to see has a big part to play in the New Testament, helping us understand who Jesus is. So we'll be doing that combined service in the morning and I'll be preaching at afternoon church and night church as well. So we'll see you there. Fantastic. All right, so yeah, this week, jump in, read the next chunk of of Genesis, get stuck in from chapter 14. Um, Yeah, just really good for us to be reading this part of God's word um, as we're teaching it on Sundays as well. And it's just a cracking story. Isn't it? You know, it's God's word, so we love it, but it is just a really good story. So do have a read. Enjoy. Guys, thanks for your help today. Um, That's it from us here. We will see you at church on Sunday. See See ya. ya.